Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey, welcome to the show. Today I have Lee Michael Walton here. He is a musician and trained psychotherapist. He creates soul-searching music. And he's also a past life regression therapist. And Lee has gone through a lot in his life. And he's going to tell us um, how he overcame cancer and how he was able to heal from that and what he learned from that experience. Welcome to the show, Lee. It's great to be with you, Tina. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. You're welcome. I can't wait to hear about your experience. I read a little bit about it on your website. um, And I'm just curious to hear your story today. So, and I'm sure my audience is as well. Well, it's my pleasure to share it with you. One of the things that happened as a result of this um, series of experiences was a feeling that this wasn't just meant to be for me. You know, and one of the reasons why I love what you do so much and other people who do similar things is that I think we're really tapping into what we came here to do, which is to share at this level of depth our sacred experiences. And, you know, when we do that, we're really remembering that we are one. We're able to inspire each other into areas that we might not have considered before. Um, So, and I think this is very important for me personally to say, when I'm sharing these experiences, it's not that I'm sharing it from a point of that I'm amazing, that I came through this. I don't see it in that way. I see it that I had amazing experiences which got me through it. Experiences which showed me that life is really about the journey of the soul. And that if we want to tap into that, if we want to call out for divine guidance, we can nourish that relationship and it will be with us as we walk this path together. Uh, Also, the people that supported me, Tina, during that time, they were channels, as far as I'm concerned, for the divine spirit. Yeah, you know what that feels like. So, if I may start with just some background about 
my childhood, without going into too much detail, there was a lot of trauma in my childhood, which left me very scarred and very inhibited as an adult. I had post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of some of the um, traumatic experiences within my childhood. And I was terrified of rejection. I had very low self-esteem, but I had repressed the incidences that had elicited in me these, um, oh, let me put it this way. I had repressed the reasons why as an adult, these things were happening. I had kind of really pushed down these events, which were mammoth, they were huge, but I wasn't strong enough to face them until I started slowly to uncover and unpack the, the, the reasons why I was like I was. And I did this through going for my own psychotherapy. And one of the things that I also did was to start training as a psychotherapist myself. And, you know, it's a long training to be a, a proper psychotherapist. So it's a lot of resources, time and money. And I did this alongside of my music work, which I've always done. Um, and also I did a hypnotherapy diploma in past life regression. And I don't practice now as a psychotherapist or as a, as a, a past life regression therapist. It's, it's all music now. So when I was doing training as a psychotherapist, I had to go for my own psychotherapy by someone at the university vetted, gave a tick to, yeah, this is a genuine, legit psychotherapist. You can, he can be your training therapist. So while I'm training, you have to undergo your own analysis as part of the, understandably part of the process. Yeah. And whilst the, the first time I met this therapist, and I remember shaking his hand as if it was yesterday. I knew that something massive was going to happen and I was petrified, but at the same time I was gripped by this need to continue with it whilst at the same time knowing that something very strange was, was about to happen and I could never quite put my finger on it. And whilst I was um, having psychotherapy with this person. I was diagnosed with chondrosarcoma in the roof of my mouth. So I had a huge tumor there in the bone, which was actually pushing my eye out of the socket. And I was in the looking in the mirror and I was seeing one eye bigger than the other. That's because the tumor was pushing it. And people were saying that my face was changing shape. So Anyway, they said that I had to, and well, that, that, that the cancer would not be responsive to chemotherapy or to radiotherapy. And that the only form of treatment, if I wanted to survive, would be to remove the entire roof of my mouth, all the gums, all the teeth, 
the top. They actually took my face off, right? And they, they, they to get to remove the whole thing. So this was a 21 hour surgery, 15 surgeons. And as you can imagine, it was life threatening surgery. I, my face was swollen massively. I was being fed with liquids and, um, you know, liquid food through a tube in my stomach because nothing for months could pass my mouth. And, um, it was, it was absolutely terrifying to be hooked up to that morphine drip and to have this huge chunk of, of your leg being cut out and giving you a completely new mouth, basically. You know, you, you don't, it, it was such radical treatment that I couldn't, I just didn't feel like I was in my own body anymore. And it was a petrifying experience. And then to be told that I would eventually be able to make myself understood with speech therapy, but I would never sing again. And that, oh, well, I wouldn't have a voice again and put it that way. And that my speech would always be compromised. Well, when I started to recover from this and started to walk again without the crutches and started to slowly be able to eat and speak. And then two years later, they put a bridge in implants and everything. The trauma of that had never left me. And this very strange experience with a psychotherapist had never left me. And although we were working together and revealing, kind of taking the lid off, as I said, what had happened to me in the childhood, I remember saying to my psychotherapist, you're going to do something and it's going to shatter me and I don't think that I will survive. Five and a half years into the therapy, my psychotherapist revealed something to me that went completely against the grain of everything that we'd worked on and the premise of the psychotherapy model for five and a half years. When you're working in traditional psychoanalysis, you don't reveal things about your own private life. You, there's a particular modality because you're working with the unconscious and it's very, very particular. You either work revealing about yourself from the start or you don't, you keep that very appropriate boundary. And what he revealed to me was so shocking to me that it actually made me fragment. And it was actually, a lot of people say, a clear breach of the guidelines. And then the psychotherapist made himself unavailable to me so that we couldn't work through it. And then rejected me and cancelled the therapy after five and a half years and left me in a state where I had to go to hospital at three in the morning. And I said, something is happening to me. I don't understand what it is, but I'm terrified of what, of this feeling I have I'm out of control. What, what had happened is that my unconscious had imploded on itself. 
and the psychotherapist had reenacted the trauma of my childhood and the rejection and left me without a holding spit, left me without a, a safety net for being held. And I can honestly say to you, Tina, that whilst the cancer was petrifying, there was a part of me that kind of thought I would survive it. But the breakdown was so, was such a complete fragmentation. It was beyond terror. It was something that I, I, I struggled to find words to say how terrifying it was. And it, it, this is one of the interesting mystical things about this, Tina, is that at the time it was beginning to happen, that fragmentation, I was able to see and describe how events would unfold in terms of with a psychotherapist, the hospital, their engagement, rela relational things, even conversations that I would be having with senior people, the nurses in my care. I was able, it was like I was watching a film and I could see how it was going to unfold. I firmly believe that when I met this psychotherapist, we had an agreement in place to fill, to fulfill some kind of contract in each other's lives. And what was happening in the weeks and the months after the breakdown, when I was just starting to be able to do small things for myself. Now, bearing in mind, during my breakdown, there was two, two psychiatric nurses visiting me a day at home, and I was hospitalized. I was so ill. So this was very serious. But it was very slowly starting. I was just starting to be able to do small things for myself, as I said, and go out. And there was this little seed inside. I couldn't quite make it out, but it was whispering to me that things were about to change. And as the weeks and months unfolded still, I, I was beginning to realize that the terror that used to grip me in the mornings, those feelings of not being worthy, that incessant voice that told me that there was danger around the corner. It had all gone. I was not living in that tormented space anymore. And let there be no doubt, Tina, before my breakdown, and for many, many, many years as an adult, I was living in a constant state of fear. And this was post-traumatic stress disorder, yeah? real horrible stuff from my childhood that had delivered a very powerful message to me that awful things were going to happen because they did time and time and time and time again in my childhood and of course with the cancer so i was battling with this and i used to pray fervently I used to say god please i can't live like this please free me from this mental state. 
and I had tried so many things, meditation, offered a limited reprieve, lots of, you know, aromatherapy, different types of healing, and they all helped somewhat at the time. But the depth of that trauma and the severity of those experiences were still there to counteract it, you know. The only way, Tina, I could have freed myself from these experiences was to have a fragmentation so deep and so profound that it flushed out the trauma of those, of all those years. And it kind of freed me the false parts of myself that I'd built up all over those years in order to survive, they had broken away. And what was left intact was the real Lee, the, the soul, you know, the, 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 I wouldn't call myself, myself a pure person, but that part of me that was authentic, that was still there. And it's very interesting, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love listening to people who've had profound near-death experiences. Well, I mean, they are profound and they, they near-death experiences and they all are. But, you know, and the message that they have. And one of the things that they report when they came back is having this being strongly affected by nature. And this is what happened to me. As I was emerging from the breakdown, I began to realize how, you know, what a laugh now, but a few weeks, um, months after I came out of hospital from, with my breakdown, on television, there was this program and it was, it was just like a pond, yeah? It wasn't even a lake or the ocean or anything. It was just like a pond in a forest. And I was so moved by this pond. I started to cry because it was, there was a beauty, a purity and innocence about it that all, and I felt that at such a deep level. And I continue to have this feeling that when I was with, with nature, that it was kind of speaking to my soul, you know? So I had now become in touch with my soul through this awful, awful experience. And so we, I think it's true what they say, there are certain individuals that come into our lives who play a part. And sometimes it takes a long time for the reason to emerge. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't see it initially, but over time, we can begin to put the pieces together, perhaps, and understand that without their role in our lives, we wouldn't maybe being put in touch with the part of us that needs to grow or realize something. Definitely. So yeah. And this is, this is the thing about when you're talking about healing of this nature of this nature right 
it is entirely a mystical process because you cannot explain how I knew from the minute I met this person that something profound was going to happen that terrified me, that I felt I knew this person, that I could see events unfold as if I was watching it on, on, on a screen and that my prayer had been answered and my defences were so high and so strong that the only way, as I said, that they could have been, that there was a way to get through my defences was to break down completely and to be rebuilt from that point. I mean, this dark night of the soul, I think, you know, we, we need to be very careful how we use that term because I think occasionally it's used very lightly. A dark night of the soul is when, um, I think Caroline Miss said something along these lines, which I kind of agreed with. She said, proper dark night of the soul is when you literally feel that your limbs are broken, broken, and you can, that every step you take is agony, but you know that you have to try and hang on in there. The dark night of that soul, of, of the soul, is re really when you're in touch with a transformational experience that is going to change everything. Everything. And the people around you are going to be impacted as well from it. The dark night of the soul isn't crying for two or three days because something upsetting has happened. It's when you are really fighting for every breath that you take because it's, it's like living in a hell. You know, when, you, when, when we look back on these experiences, Tina, and we see the love that we are given from people, you know, I, I don't think we can, I, I put it like this, you never take that for granted again. Because that love, that offer of, of, I can feel myself emotional as I'm saying this, but it, it shoots through the darkness, that kind of love, and you know how powerful it is. You know, it is not something I cannot be grateful for anymore. Yeah, I, I didn't go through a dramatic dark night of the school of the soul like yours, but I remember it got triggered by a book that I read. And after I read that book, I was like, well, what's the point of anything then? You know, which sounds like depression, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, if we're just here and it's temporary and it's not real and you know it's not our immortal soul we're just gonna wear you know wear this physical vessel and it's going to eventually we're going to depart from it well what's the point what's the yeah. point of it all um and how did you get may I ask how how did you move through that experience I remember it felt like a grieving torpedo type of experience because you 
have this idea of what life is and why you're here. And then it, it, like you said, it shakes everything up and you go, wait a minute, you know, maybe what I believed was not correct or I somehow got out of it. I, I think I decided that the book that I read was very harsh. <laughs> And, you know, I can't even tell you the title of it now. I can look it up. But it was basically this man who had these two spirit guides come in. And these spirit guides taught him and talked to him every day. And they were really almost insensitive about being a person, being a human, being a soul in a body. It's a very harsh, kind of a harsh training overly harsh, I, I think. And I always say with your angels and guides, they're not in a body. So you need to tell them what it's like. You need to remind them what it's like. And if it's uncomfortable, you need to tell them. And if you're they're being brash, you know, about your experience, it's so easy for them because they're not in the soup like we are. Yeah. But remind them, you know, look, this is uncomfortable or this hurts or that ringing sound in my ear is too loud. Can you take it down a notch? Mm. You know, it's too distracting or you got to communicate to them, you know, yeah. your comfort level. So yeah. somehow I got out of it because I felt like, well, I'm here. And I'm here, I know that I planned out this life to a T and that there's a laundry list of things that I want to do here. You know, I know this, I plan to be here. And I was going to say, when you met your psychotherapist, you probably experienced some sort of deja vu or remembrance of the agreement that you made with this person. And then when you met that person, you were like, hmm. Tina, that's exactly, you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happened. It was when I was having like a flashback to, to an agreement that we'd made and I, know, and I knew something was going to happen, something major, yeah. So it is, and you know, no one can, too many things have happened to me in my life to know that this was not a figment of my imagination. This was real. And I knew it straight away from the minute that we met. And what you're saying about that thing, you know, it's very easy for people to say, and you, sometimes you hear people in, in this, in the spiritual arena say things like, oh, well, you know, we have to be playful. We have to be, we have to realize, remind ourselves that this is not um, real that it's, it's all an illusion, it's, it's, it's a dream. Well, and that is true on one level, it is true. And it is wonderful to be playful, you know, to take risks and to not judge, to be childlike, you know, at times. But then I think we are here because the breadth of emotion that is available for us to experience here is not the same as when we are in the world of spirit. Yeah. 
so, so for some reason, our souls choo- chose this because it's part of our development and it is part of our kind of um, evolution to be here in this illusion and, and sometimes to forget that it's an illusion. <laughs> That's part of the, of the trick of it all as well, you know. I mean, it reminds me as well of an experience that I had when my grandmother died and my grandmother and I were very, very close. And she was more like a mother to me. And when I was in the hospital, she hadn't opened her eyes for three or four days. And of course, all the time I was with her, she hadn't opened her eyes at all, right? And she was very deaf. So just when I was about to leave, and I knew it would be the last time I saw her, bearing in mind she couldn't hear and she hadn't opened her eyes for days. When I was looking at her from the door, after all these days, her eyes went, and she looked at me. There was a part of her spirit that knew I was thinking this is the last time I'm going to see you. And she couldn't see where I was, but she opened her eyes just at that moment when I turned round to look at her for the last time. And then, and then shut them again, right? So her spirit was freed from her body at that point, I think, and she knew that I was looking at her for the first time and she was giving me that contact. And when she, oh, I, I came back to London and I was having these like nightmares where I, where I was looking at her in the hospital room and that she was surrounded by this fog and that she was very, very confused and that she, because she had Alzheimer's, yeah, and she had a lot of things in her life that she hadn't really closed, you know, finished off things. So she was in, oh, this has happened two or three nights where I was sensing that she was confused and upset and in this kind of foggy kind of place. And so a friend of mine who's of Native American descent, she said to me, have you got any rose quartz? So I said, yes. She said, take this rose quartz with you, take it to bed and see your grandmother in this white light and, you know, kind of give her permission to go and, you know, see her surrounded in a strong white light, loving light. Well, I did this. And the following day, I had news that she passed. Right. So she passed that that night then. And then a few days later, I'm lying in bed and I'm in that space between sleep and normal waking consciousness. And in a flash, it's like in a split second, I was where she was. And I I can tell it was like a one second of amazing download. (laughs) It was all this information became downloaded. I was where she was. I was looking at the planet and the planet felt like, I think we call it paper mache. It felt like it wasn't even solid. It felt like a dream, the planet. And where I was with her, that felt real. And the solar system, the planet, this felt like it was 
like we say, an illusion, just like a kind of play on a stage or something. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to, to, to express all the information I was given at that time, you know. But what I'm sure what she did, Tina, was to just give me a glimpse of where she was and that she was okay. Mm-hmm. That she finally made it, you know. So, and then, you know, so we had that little insight into the illusion of it. But at the same time, when she was here, we had this wonderful bond. Within that illusion, it was a really meaningful bond that will survive and will take it back into spirit, you know. Yeah, so you've gone through all these things in your life and in your journey. And I always say everybody has their own journey, um, their own path. And where are you at now? What's going on with you now? So what's happened now, Tina, is that I've um, had this idea five years ago to create an album which celebrates the potential that we have to positively impact each other's lives and celebrates the fact that we are together on this sacred path through this earth's wall. The, the album is kind of like a book because it details, you know, the story that I just told you about, about the breakdown and stuff. But it also has uh, a lot of people from all diverse backgrounds for, from around the world who on one particular track, what I did was I invited people to share a few sentences about profound moments of their lives when everything changed. And so they recorded themselves sharing this and this is through the album, you know, Mm -hmm. these very, so it's really about all of our experiences. And so what I've done is I've, what I hope that I've done is to integrate the psychotherapy training because they're a reference to all all those kinds of things in, in the songs and um, kind of merge that with a breakdown, the breakthrough that happened and the, the celebration, the honouring of how amazing it can be when we can impact each other's lives in such a positive way, you know? So I've spent five years doing that. It's been a huge investment on every level, on a emotional level, <laughs> on a financial level, time, everything, every, every kind of level. But I had to do it, you know, it felt like this is what I am here to do, is, is this album, you know. And <clears throat> I don't know where it's going to go, because when well, it got to number one in, in the UK Amazon charts and the best sellers got there, but they've got a PR thing coming out, um, just, just starting to develop now. So it's getting a bit of radio play and everything. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I am. And I feel like I want to move forward into performing, you know, more as a musician and taking this kind of message out there. There will be a book as well. I'm writing a book called A Therapist's Breakdown. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, I just want to see, I mean, I I'm not sure where it will go from here, but <laughs> watch this space. 
but you're here look at everything that you've overcome and you probably had to relearn a lot of things after your surgery including including speaking oh yeah and do you sing anymore yeah i mean this is what's wonderful about the um about the process the surgeons are all aware as well that i'm singing on the album yeah my voice isn't the same as it was before my speech isn't the same as it was but i am singing and i am speaking fairly clearly and they are just really overjoyed with it um i sent the surgeons a copy of the album you know and they this i got lovely responses from them and i'm actually donating uh 10 percent of my own profits from the album to the hospital that took such you know great care of me and such a lot of people there when you think about the whole team my god speech therapists physiotherapists people that were coming to so i got i had a huge chunk taken out of my leg you know to rebuild the thing from for weeks and weeks coming to the house and feeding me through my stomach and all these and some of these people you know tina they had such they were so caring and so kind and considerate because they knew i was traumatized i mean um what i can remember when i came out of intensive care i'm not sure if you call it intensive care in america do you high yeah. dependency i think you call yeah it. Mm -hmm. but um I, I came when i came out of there to the in-between stage um then I can remember opening my eyes and there were two um, members of staff there and two female members of staff. And the first things I heard after the surgery was, we just want you to know that we are going to take very good care of you. We are here to look after you. We are here. They had waited for, for that moment when I opened my eyes to, to tell that would be the first thing that I heard, you know, and so <clears throat> it's very nice to be able to give something back, you know, to um, these people. I mean, the hospital itself is part of the National Health Service and we don't we don't have to pay. Here. It's all free, you know, but the thing is, there are ways which you can support funds for staff members, you know, and mm -hmm charities and for maybe parents who are struggling you know with things like expenses when they have children that are ill in the hospital and they have to travel there's lots of ways that i can give back to support those people you know in those situations through the hospital and um the surgeons as well because they, i had top 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 surgeons who really cared about me as a person you know, so they're thrilled that I'm doing this album. It's been a real joy to, to converse with them, you know. That's amazing. I mean, you had 15 surgeons. Yeah, 15 wow. surgeons. 21 hours of in one surgery, and there was a few, you know, there was a few mm -hmm. surgeries. Mm -hmm. So when, I, when you were under surgery, I've had a couple of surgeries myself. Um, do you recall anything um, during that dream state, what I would call when you were under anesthesia? Do you recall seeing anything or feeling anything? Or No, 
I don't, I don't recall anything at all. Um, but I did when, when I, when I was 17, and this is another reason why I'm, I'm, I listen, it's like Carl Jung said in one of his interviews, when he was asked, do you believe? He was asked as an elderly man, Carl Jung, you know, do you believe in God now? And he said, but why should I have to believe when I know? You see, when you know, you don't have to believe anymore. And I, I feel like that because of my experiences. And I don't remember anything in the end of that surgery. But when I was 17, I left my body. And it was that was a very powerful experience. So I was just lying in bed and I had the skylight roof like a window in a roof that was sloping. And I can remember just falling asleep, looking at, at the skylight in the window. And then all of a sudden, and I have to say this was not very pleasant. It, all I can describe it as was, you know, like a, a hoover, a vacuum hoover. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's actually very close to that, like a suction being pulled out through my head, right? And I could feel a part of me was resisting this, but I was, I was just moving out. My spirit was moving out of my head. The next thing I know, I'm outside of my body in the room and I'm just, I'm, I'm awareness. I'm, I'm looking all, I can see all around. I'm, but my attention is kind of like focused. And do you know what's very interesting? In that state, the light was off in the room. There was a glow, I would say like an orange, a yellowy orange glow around every single object in the room, around the television, everything that I, I that was there when I was in that state of consciousness that was not there, obviously, in the, in my ordinary state. So I was, I had switched into a different vibrational state and I was seeing this glow around object from that, you know, from that level of vibration. And I can remember looking at it and <laughs> just being in awe you know, of this experience that I was having. And I, I just continued to rise. And when I got like to the roof, the next thing I remember is suddenly being back in my body. So when, when you have an experience like that, you know, you know, you're not just your physical body, your consciousness is able to separate. And I do have this feeling sometimes when I when I wake up, I don't know if you've had this, but where you feel as if you've been somewhere else. Oh, yes, definitely. So um, I had my wisdom teeth taken out when I was about 20 or 21 years old. And um, they put you under. And I, my mother was with me and I got out. When I woke up, I started crying, like sobbing. And I couldn't control it. It was like, <laughs> like that. It wasn't fear, anxiety. It was more like grief, almost 
that I went home. I think I went home or I was reunited with my higher self, my your loved ones. And then I came back. And I remember my mother asking the dentist, what's wrong with her? Why is she acting this way? The dentist says, sometimes when people wake up, they have different reactions. You know, sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they're upset. But I feel like that's what I did. So when I go, when I go under and I, I have surgery, I say, I know I'm going back home yeah. briefly. And then I'm coming back. Yeah. That's my intention. That's good. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a wonderful way to look at it. And I think that obviously we're not able to take that level of awareness sometimes back with us because when, when our soul, when our spirit leaves and goes back home, the experience is, they stay quite often so vast and so expansive that we can't hold it, you know, into our memory. It's, it's a kind of, it doesn't belong in that space in that way. We can only be, <laughs> be aware of it when we're back there, you know, that we've mm -hmm. been there before, you know. And, if... and think about all of the, the staff and the surgeons and the nurses that were involved in your care. If you just think about the guardian angels that were involved in this, you know, because every single person has about up to four. Yeah. Just yeah. in that room alone while you yeah. were giving that surgery. And I think that's what you're talking about is you were feeling the love from all of these people who were caring for you, who wanted you to get better, who were committed to giving you the best that they could yeah. offer the best surgery that they could give you. And I think you felt that and you yeah. tapped into it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's right. beautiful. Yeah. I, and all through my album, there are references to angels. And, so, you know, some of these experiences that we have, some of the deeply mystical experiences, it's so difficult to describe in words and there are some, excuse me, some of them I actually cannot talk about because anymore because when I have, I've always been left with this feeling of being deflated because I've not been able to convey what happened because it transcends definition, yeah. the experience, the emotion of it there's no words in the English language that can convey what those mystical experiences brought to you, what what was elicited in you through that event. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> with 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 the angelic side of it, I can. There's a couple of things I can say, which is when I was in the hospital, I was on this morphine, and they were, it was, it, well, it was stopping the pain, yeah, but it, I, I wasn't really enjoying it. I know some people do, I didn't enjoy it. It was like, I was seeing kaleidoscopes and all these things, and I, I, I wasn't sleeping, right? And I was very, very uncomfortable. Um, as I said, I hated this feeling. My body didn't feel my own anymore. 
I, I couldn't really move. I was in, oh, it was just so uncomfortable. And my friend came um, with, to see me one day with this tape of like angel guidance or an angel meditation or something. And I remember praying. I said, please, to my guardian angel, I said, please help me sleep. Please, I have to sleep. And you know, I, I, I hadn't slept in, in, a, in properly in a few days. That was the first time I slept. And I, I felt I was being held and that as I was drifting off to sleep, and I, I, the flavor of it, the sense of it, something else had stepped in when I called out and I said, please, to my guardian angel, help me sleep. I need to sleep. And that was there. And then another time when I, um, after my breakdown, there was, was a few weeks after I came out of hospital and I, I was, I just felt that I had to meditate. <laughs> I wasn't meditating through my breakdown. I can tell you that. I was, you know, I was gone in my breakdown. So, but this one day, something said to me, Lee, sit in the chair, listen to your breath. And I, and I did it. And I shall never forget the sense, sensation I had. There was a, a feeling that I had of a power around me that was so strong, so powerful. It was like, there's the, there's something, the phrase that they use, I think it's somewhere in the biblical text about um, fearing God. And a lot of people say that it's not about that you have to fear God, but that there is something so powerful about the source, the divine, that it's all inspiring. It's a, and I, I knew at the time I was in awe of the power that I felt that I was being held in, in this meditation. It, and it was love, but it was fierce love. It, it was uncompromising love. Very different to that gentle being held like a child angelic thing that I had in the hospital. And I had things that I, that I wanted to do, that I needed to do here in, in, in my flat that day. But in my meditation, I, when I came out of it, I, all, the only thing I wanted to do was to go to my bed and lie down and be in this state that had emerged in me and, and just keep in contact with this feeling of being held. And do you know that it's like somebody, somebody could have taken a piece of paper and written down what I felt I'd been communicated with and it, and it wouldn't have been clear. I was given clearly the message. I am going to hold you through this. And I, I could feel it. I knew it. That's the communication that I got. And it, it, that, that, oh. listen, I mean, you can't, when you walk the spiritual path, they say, you can never go back because you only need one experience like that and it will change you forever. You can never then be in a, in a, in a state 
where you can doubt ever again. Yeah, because you're remembering your home. Yeah. So your home is to be enveloped in love at all times. Yeah. And then you, it's easy to forget here. We're disconnected from it, but we'll have moments like you had where you feel it again and you go, aha, this is it. This is what I'm going to come home to eventually. But this is how, this is normal. This is how I should feel all the time. Just hugged and loved and and it's so powerful that it makes you cry yeah when you're around that kind of unconditional love yeah and then you realize how much you miss it yeah because where you come from you always feel that way yeah Yeah. that's right you know and there is a kind of it's a reminder isn't it It's, it's a reminder of what we had you know, as you say, what was normal for us, you know, and when we reconnect in, in with that, it's, it's so endearing, it's so profound, it, and it actually makes the polarities of your, it, it vastly expands your thinking, because that, that, is, that is now your point of reference. Mm-hmm. Point of reference has been dramatically shifted. And anything that we do as human beings after an experience like that will, can, can always be, in a sense, compared to that. You know, now the point of reference has shifted. We might have thought we knew what love was. But after that experience, you're talking about a love that is difficult to describe. That is a love that is fierce love. And it's beyond human love it is some it's something else you know i think what we do as human beings is a glimpse of that is 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 some kind of a an expression of that but then from that side it's multiplied a thousand times you know and it's interesting isn't it that we, we can have like each of these experiences has a, has a different flavor it's, it's because each of these, you know, spiritual entities, they have their own kind of characteristics, you know, mm-hmm. it is, and it fascinates me. It's like when I've been for healing, um, you know, like hands on healing, spiritual healing, where with, with different healers, I have felt different kinds of energies with them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's like, bang, it's like, you know, you really feel like something shifted in a split second. And it's, you know, you you can sense a different color with it, a different flavor with it. And with, with somebody else, it's it can be a much more of a gentle, you know, um, a feminine than kind of energy, you know, with mm-hmm. maybe gold and yellow. And there are these colors that can spring up in your mind when when you're kind of experiencing that. So yeah, it's as if you're getting a flavor of the, <laughs> the characteristic, you know, of the entities, like they have their own little personalities or something. <laughs> right. And even that person, that energy of that person that's working on you, 
you know, you're it, whatever healing energy they're sending to you, you're like with Reiki, it's being filtered through them. Yeah. To right. you. Right. Right. You're picking up on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Lee, tell us where the audience can find you and if they would like to connect with you or purchase your album where they can do that. Oh, that's great. Well, it's on Amazon HMV. Um, lots of stores, Barnes and Noble, you know, worldwide. The album is called The Beginning Is Here. And um, yeah, go on to any of those websites. Also, I've got a very active Facebook um, page where we talk about all spiritual matters and all things about, you know, self-development and the music. And that's Lee Michael Walton. Mm -hmm. And then there's the web page, um, website, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on all of them, all the platforms. <laughs> and I'd be delighted, you know, to hear from people that have listened to this, um, podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for coming on the show. Well, I enjoyed so much your stories and your experience and the deeper meanings behind it all and i'm glad you decided to stay with us and continue continue your music and your gifts and sharing that with the world thanks tina and congratulations on your work as well it's been such a pleasure to speak with you thank you lee Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.